today on Ag News Daily. So for the first uh, version that's out there now, and I should mention it's in our uh, beta or experiment mode, and, and right now we uh, we have a caveat that it's not intended for real agronomic guidance at this point. Listeners, April 25th, Tuesday, Ag News Daily Podcast, Tanner and Delaney here. Going to bring some news, quite a bit of news, going to get you uh, planting progress updates, a little shot at the weather, and plenty of other areas of emphasis. Delaney, how are you doing this morning? I'm good, Tanner. How about you? I'm good. Chilly. Um, uh, like I said yesterday, I'm ready for this week to be over, just weather-wise, so we can actually get uh, farmers, at least in Iowa and around this area, really excited to get this crop in the ground. You know what? We're starting today. Oh, we are. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, Blaine, is it a little cold still? He's like, yeah, we got to keep going. So, you know, Tanner, I think that was reflected by a lot of farmer sentiment this week as we look at the crop progress report that came out yesterday. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree. I think I've been watching Twitter and it seems like there's a battle of, of those who have the flexibility to wait just due to equipment and acreage comparisons to, uh, those that maybe are under equipped for the acres that they're farming and just the calendar says it's time to go. So you put a lot of faith in your seed technologies, but yeah, it looks like everybody east of the Rockies are still going to feel cool temperatures for the next few days. A couple of freeze and frost advisories here in the Northern U S you look across the upper Ohio Valley, South central Appalachians portion of the mid Atlantic area. There's also some freeze and frost warnings. But uh, ultimately, hopefully going to get a warm front to push through towards the end of the week. Of course, that's going to drive some thunderstorms in and through there. We talked about the flooding yesterday. That has not gone away. But our friends still in the New Mexico, Arizona, southwest Texas, Oklahoma portion are still experiencing really dry conditions. And our friends out west, northern California, eastern Oregon, Washington might set temperature records for this time of year. So kind of wild how drastic the weather changes throughout the nation. Absolutely. But nonetheless, planters continued to roll this week, Tanner. Nationwide corn plantings moved ahead six percentage points compared to last week, reaching 14% planted as of Sunday, seven percentage points ahead of last year, which is a little surprising to me. The top two corn producing states of Iowa and Illinois were 10% and 18% planted, respectively, Tanner. And as far as crop emergence, we saw 3% of corn had emerged as of Sunday. On the soybean side of things, soybean plantings moved ahead 5 percentage points, 9% planted as of Sunday. This is 6 percentage points ahead of last year's planting average. And again, notable States in Illinois and Iowa, Illinois at 15%, Iowa at 5% planted. So definitely seeing things push right along here, Tanner. We also saw crop condition reports, of course, reported as nationwide winter wheat was rated 26% good to excellent, down one percentage point compared to last week. 41% of the crop rated poor to very poor which is up a couple percentage points from last week. So certainly seeing planters rolling and seeing things get worse in winter wheat country. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And when you look at the map of the crop planting progress for our listeners, if you can visualize taking Iowa and pushing North and they are either at or behind the average 
planted percentage at this time of year, both for corn and soybeans, where everybody south of that line, uh, and I'm including that as Nebraska, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, are ahead. And of course, Texas has made really good progress. Obviously, they've got a significant temperature difference, but they're nearly 75 percent planted wanted to give our listeners a little update too uh, as we had reported on the fire in texas at the south fork dairy the investigation report has been released now more than two weeks after this massive fire killed more than seventeen thousand cows almost eighteen thousand. the texas state fire marshal's office reported that there was no foul play and the fire was accidentally caused because of the size of the fire and the insured loss amount, number of cattle killed, and the fact that two pieces of equipment identical in format had caught fire and burned previously, the piece of equipment, Delaney, that is charged will now be investigated further to potentially prevent other fires in the future. So it was a piece of equipment used daily on the dairy, uh, as stated here, the dairy had had one of these pieces of equipment catch fire previously and another location separate dairy also had the same identical piece of equipment catch fire so it seems like there is a common culprit here of course the flammable liquids including fuel hydraulic oil and other materials caused this fire to expand rapidly but it is official that this fire was an accident Seems like that took a little bit longer than I anticipated, Tanner, for it to be ruled an accident. Yeah, it's good to have conclusive evidence. I feel bad for whatever this piece of equipment's manufacturer is, because it sounds like there may be some repercussions headed that way. Well, Tanner, we thought there for a hot minute that repercussions might be headed to the beef industry, specifically related to mRNA vaccines. There was some hashtag fake news floating around the Internet that cattle producers were required to use mRNA vaccines introduced during the covid pandemic. But we've gotten lots of rebuttals suggesting and stating that this simply is not the fact. Many folks were alleging that the cattle industry was required to use these mRNA vaccines. And what these mRNA vaccines do is they teach cells to make copies of the spike protein and help with largely um, putting protein and beef muscle on cattle. They are required in the pork industry, however, not required in the beef industry. And this has just really caused quite a stew. AP News had a really great story out. Uh, They kind of do like a fact finding story, if you will. And they said the claim was farmers, ranchers are required to inject livestock with mRNA vaccines. Their assessment was false. Of course, there is no mandate in the U.S. that livestock receive certain vaccines and there are no covid mRNA vaccines licensed for animals, as a lot of folks have suggested. This is still kind of circulating the Internet. Social media posts in recent days have falsely asserted that farmers are required to vaccinate livestock with such vaccines and they're suggestions were that it was unsafe for human consumption, not taking into account, of course, the uh, withdrawal period, both for cattle and hogs, and the fact that this is not required for cattle in particular. Many livestock groups have responded to this claim, but it's gotten a little extreme, Tanner, so far to the point that Fear among public lawmakers sparked the introduction of Missouri House Bill 1169, 
which would require producers to label meat from treated animals as treated with a, quote, potential gene therapy product. So we're seeing really far extremes of people that don't understand really what's going on, starting to take this thing to the extreme ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can compare that to something that's happening in the banking industry right now around a mortgage tax. So again, it's uh, something that a lot of our listeners aren't going to have to deal with, but you know, news that comes out in January and is misconstrued to appear as a tax for high credit score borrowers, uh, just because there are credits to those with lower credit scores to help them improve. So I completely understand how things can be blown out of portion once it gets into uh, the mainstream public and regurgitated. But something else that isn't going to be confusing, hopefully by the time we get done with it, is the waters of the U.S. Kentucky has joined the ban of states blocking Biden's administration's water of the U.S. definition on Thursday after their appeals court issued a freeze on the rule until May 10th. So that now makes Kentucky the latest and the 27th state to put up a wall against the legislation. Delaney, I know we've been reporting on this, but we got to 27 states very quickly. So I was uh, quite impressed at how many of these states had jumped into it. Obviously, uh, looking to get clarity from the Biden administration uh, to provide a little bit more definition on traditional navigable waters, tributaries, certain ditches that may be fit into this category. We've talked about uh, last week the importance importance to agriculture to have the uh, either definitions made clear or to repeal some of the included wetlands that are a part of this. So Kentucky is the latest one, Delaney, to jump on that list, and we'll see how many more continue to follow. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Last week in D.C., a lot of legislators shared mostly anecdotal stories, but there was one that really stuck out to me in particular. It was, I believe, just post planting season, um, muddy last year in whatever area this producer lived in, was driving through a field and caused deep ruts with their piece of equipment they were using and the ruts filled with rainwater. And according to WOTUS, that is a waters of the U.S. And they I don't remember if they got in legal trouble or if something happened that sparked their frustration with it all. But it's just crazy to think that a man-made puddle caused by a tractor tire wheel filled up with rainwater could then be considered a waters of the U.S. I had never imagined. No, I hadn't either. But it was just, yeah, very frustrating, I'm sure, all the way around, Tanner. But another thing that's frustrating has been the slow progression of talks for the Russian-Ukraine-Grain Initiatives Corridor. They continue to have lots of conversations, but it doesn't sound like those conversations are really headed anywhere. Uh, as we know, Russia demanded that the initiative was only extended for 60 days, although some news outlets were reporting 120. This puts the deadline for renewal for yet another grain corridor initiative on May 18th, which is just around the corner. Russia has made many comments in recent days and weeks that indicate they have no interest in extending this initiative at all. And a lot of folks are questioning, are they serious about this? Will they really follow through? Um, that is definitely a concern to a lot of folks around the world, especially Ukrainian farmers, as they're getting 
geared up here, Tanner, to plant their crop just kind of the same time of year here the U.S. producers are. So that's continuing to create tensions in the West. As we know, the G7 summit met over the weekend. They're continuing to have conversations, but I don't know, could be Russia posturing could be really the reality that they are not going to continue moving forward on any sort of new extension. Yeah, I think there's a lot of continued focus on that. Obviously, we talked about it a little bit yesterday as well. But I've just got three financial headlines to hit before I'm out of news for today. So central banks last month, obviously, we talked about the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. But now the Bank of England, the Bank of Japan, the European Central Bank, the Swiss Natural Bank and uh, the Fed all said Tuesday that they would end their daily measures to boost the flow to lenders around the world. They are citing the improvement in funding conditions and lower demand is providing them a lot more confidence than they were sitting at in a position nearly a month ago. Central banks stand ready to adjust their liquidity is warranted by market conditions, but for this point, they are considering uh, the bank tumultuous environment to be again returned to stable. 3M announced significant layoffs as part of another major restructuring plan. They've announced that they will lay off nearly 6,000 staff around the world. This is on top of 2,500 earlier this year to their manufacturing department in January. Company states that this will save up to nine hundred million dollars a year after the tax or uh, after taxes when the layoffs are complete. And GM, the uh, maker of a lot of the farm trucks that our listeners are driving, reported much better than expected first quarter earnings, and they expect their year revenue will do even better than expected. The largest automaker reported an adjustment of earnings to three point one billion or two dollars and twenty one cents a share. That's only up slightly from last year, but the biggest thing, Delaney, is that they were forecasting this year to be $1.73 a share. So that is a significant almost 50 cent jump. That's a revenue increase of 11% to nearly $40 billion in total. So a couple of things there to provide a little outlook on what the economy might be doing, where banking is solidifying, manufacturing might be slowing, but yet automakers are continuing to see a strong year. But that's what I've got for headlines today. I have just one final headline here. And it wasn't really something I was aware of, but something I think needs mentioned. The final shipment of live cattle have left New Zealand's shores. Back in 2021, the government announced that New Zealand would no longer be shipping live cattle via exports. So the last shipment has left their shores as of Friday, and this was largely implemented because of animal welfare, Tanner. However, China is a very large trading partner of New Zealand's. More specifically, they bring in a lot of live cattle given their proximity to the two countries. But this is also going to be halted and Farmers in New Zealand have had two years to transition out of the export business, but it's going to be interesting how this impacts other countries such as China that get their live cattle from New Zealand. Now I'm glad that you brought that up. I'm curious to see what markets are doing today. I assume with the planting progress report being much ahead of schedule that we're probably seeing grains in the red 
We certainly are, Tanner. Good guess there. Although not too terribly in the red here for the corn complex. May corn down just a half a cent to open at 6.50 and three quarters. New crop corn is down three quarters of a cent. We'll open today at six, excuse me, at 5.46 and three quarters. May soybeans shed four and a quarter cent in the overnight to open at 14.61. November new crop beans will open four cents lower on the board at 12.72 and three quarters. Hard red may winter wheat down three and a half cents at eight twenty nine and a half and a quick refresher at where livestock ended yesterday. June live cattle added two and a half cents will open today at a buck sixty four fifty five. May feeders lost a dollar sixty five to open today at two ten seventy five and May lean hogs will open sixty seven and a half cents higher at seventy seven seventy. Tanner, super excited for today's conversation because we're talking about how AI and ChatGPT have now intersected with agriculture. Well, listeners, I don't know if you've gotten on the AI bandwagon, but I've been seeing a lot of headlines played around with ChatGPT. There's lots of cool applications out there. But today we're talking about an application, AI-based that was designed for farmers. Chatting today with the head of data science for Farmers Business Network, Kit Barron, to talk about their new AI platform, Norm. Kit, super excited to talk about this with you. Yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk to you and share a little bit about what our team's been working on. So you just recently announced Norm, the first AI advisors for farmers. Before we get into a little bit about Norm, For those of our listeners who aren't super familiar with AI, give us the background kit on what AI is and how it's utilized. Well, there's a lot of different types of AIs out there. And the particular one that we've built Norman is uh, OpenAI's ChatGPT, which has really taken the world by storm over the past couple of months. Uh, This AI uh, learns from uh, text information and uh, creates responses uh, to questions that that people ask it. So Norm is built on ChatGPT there, as you mentioned. Tell us, uh, why the name Norm? Sure. Well, uh, Dr. Norman Borlaug uh, is a real hero of mine and and many folks at the company. He revolutionized uh, plant breeding, particularly wheat breeding in in the 50s and 60s. Uh, and for his work, he actually won the Nobel Peace Prize uh, for ending hunger in, in many parts of the world that rely on, on disease-resistant wheat. Um, Dr. Borlaug went on to take his Nobel Peace Prize winnings and create the World Food Prize, which is kind of considered the uh, Nobel Prize for agriculture. Um, and so uh, we thought, who whom better to, to pay tribute to than somebody that uh, introduced new types of technology, uh, to, to help the agricultural industry and, and, and the broader world. Yeah, that is very fitting that he was such a pioneer of that space. And now he's getting to have his name on a pioneering technology for agriculture. But let's talk more about the technology kit. Tell us, we know what Chad GPT is now. We know why it was named Norm. But how does Norm actually work and help farmers? Sure. Uh, well, and, and let's talk a little bit about some of the distinctions between, you know, uh, ChatGPT that you can uh, visit online and, and, and Norm specifically. And so 
in in checking out ChatGPT over the past couple of months, I've tried a bunch of agricultural questions, and it's it's not bad. Uh, but we thought that given some of the the serious nature of recommendations in agriculture, uh, we really wanted to provide something that had a highly accurate uh, uh, set of information uh, about some of the core questions that farmers have. And if you think about what it takes to be be a farmer today, and, and you know well, uh, you have to be an expert in so many different areas, from plant genetics to uh, chemistry to soil uh, soil health and uh, even equipment maintenance or, or uh, you know, grain trading. So it's hard to stay on top of all of those different areas of expertise. So we said, hey, how could we bring all of that information under one umbrella and provide a really easy to use interface for our farmer members? Um, and so that's really kind of the spirit behind NORM, providing high quality uh, information about agriculture uh, to any of our farmer members. So what is some of the specific information that farmers can ask Norm? So for the first uh, version that's out there now, and I should mention it's in our uh, beta or experiment mode. And, and right now we uh, we have a caveat that it's not intended for real agronomic guidance at this point, uh, as, as we're still learning and trying to get better. And we also recommend that all farmers will always you know, follow label directions and, and local regulations and consult their trusted advisor uh, if they have any uh, any concerns. So I just want to get that out of the way. Um, but the the first use case that we've really focused on is recommendations for crop protection. And so you can ask Norm, uh, you can tell Norm, hey, you know, I, I'm getting ready to plant beans in, in uh, uh, you know, Southeast South Dakota, um, and I'm dealing with some persistent cochia and water hemp. Uh, what would be some good products to help me clean the field before plant? And what Norm will do, he'll consult the training data that we we provided about different crop protection products, and he'll respond with an answer that's tailored to the crop, the weed you're trying to address, and the location in which you're farming. Can you think about all the data that you would have to feed Norm to make it able to ask all these different questions. How long did this process take and how many different data points did you feed him? Uh, we're lucky here at FBN because we've actually been building out these data sets for you know the past seven or eight years. And so uh, all that information I mentioned about how different crop protection products work, uh, that already powers the FBN store. So we can make sure we are uh, providing the right products in the right areas for our farmer customers. Um, and so uh, that actually made it quite easy to, to kind of plug Norm into that, that big database of uh, product labels. Um, and so that, that part of it was actually uh, easier than we had expected. Um, so we've been working on this Norm project for just a little over a month so far, though I've been, we've been thinking about it for, for several months now since ChatGPT came out. How exactly do farmers access Norm? Because when you think about ChatGPT, you have to go to the website and do it. Does Norm have any sort of digital platform? Is it like an Alexa where you can buy a device and talk to Norm? Not yet, though we are experimenting with some uh, text-to-voice technology. Uh, but it's really simple. Uh, farmer can just go to fbn.com/norm, uh, and if uh, in, you know if they don't have an account, they can create a free membership uh, with FBN, uh, and then you can uh, you get a chat you get a, a chat bar, and you can type in your question. Uh, it's as simple as that. 
So you mentioned right now, currently, you can ask Norm questions about chemicals, inputs, pests and disease, uh, agronomic focused, it sounds like. Are there plans to expand Norm in the future to ask him questions outside of the agronomic industry? No, we really want to, you know, our mission is to help farmers, uh, you know, maximize ROI on their operations. And so we really want to keep Norm uh, focused on agriculture. And, uh, and, and you know, we, we really pride ourselves in, in having a, a strong community of, of, of farmers uh, as members. And, and that's really what we want to focus on here. Now, the areas and arenas that farming touches are pretty broad. So you can ask Norm about equipment, about soil. Uh, you can even ask Norm to recommend his favorite movies about farming. Uh, but uh, if you try to go too far afield in the non-agriculture related topics, Norm will say, you know, I, I, I prefer to talk about agriculture and I'll steer you back to ag. My other big question is, does Norm's does Norm have a voice? And if so, does it sound like Norman Borlaug? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. No, no, not today. Norm's just a, a, a chat bot for now. Uh, but I, I love the idea of trading him on some former footage of uh, Dr. Borlaug's voice. Uh, uh, we'll see what uh, his uh, you know, his family would say about that. But uh, that's a it's a fun idea. And it really shows, you know, the, the possibilities here are really uh, there's so many different ways we can take this. And, you know, right now it is on the web. It's on the mobile. Um, but we're even thinking about, hey, what if this were an SMS? You know, it, it, so you could text to text norm. And, and we hope, you know, with planting underway uh, right now, we hope that farmers who are, you know, on their 12th hour, uh, on the third day planting might uh, might get a kick out of trying Norm out and, and getting some companionship there in the cab. Yeah, this is a great time of year to play around with Norm as you're hitting the fields, getting some planting in. Uh, again, that's fbn.com slash Norm Kit. Thank you so much for joining. This is super interesting and excited to test it out for myself. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed uh, Delaney and thanks so much for having us on. There you go, Delaney. We had messed around a little bit with the new AI on Snapchat last night to uh, explore both the Ag News Daily podcast and Farm for Profit. It's kind of neat and scary all at the same time. So it's good to see how this can apply to agriculture. It absolutely is, Tanner. Weird, weird times we're living in here. That's correct. But listeners, stick with us. We've got more great conversations this week. Follow us on social media and share your stories with us. We'd love to hear those. But for today, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.